Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. I have been so excited about this weekend, because this weekend we have a special guest with us. And uh, he was my pastor when I was in Bible school. Um, and uh, he impacted my life incredibly. I remember in Bible school going through a class called eschatology and we learned all about the last days. And, um, and I walked out of there just not understanding it at all. I was kind of confused. Then Pastor Bob taught it at church and, 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 and I don't know how long he took, six weeks, eight weeks, but I walked out saying, oh my goodness, this is so simple, I understand it. And it changed my life and he impacted our church and is still impacting our church. Uh, he gave me a love for the Bible like none other. And I'm just excited that he's with us this weekend. And I'd like for you uh, to give him a warm welcome as he comes forth to minister God's word to us. Thank you, Joe. Amen. Praise God. All right, how many of you have never seen me before? All right, well, I've never seen you either. So we're off, starting off on the same foot this morning. And it's great to be here. Had a great time last night. And I was just asking Gina, I thought they met at our church. That's true, they did meet at our church. And so, anyway, it's good to see, it's good to see the marriage lasted, because I, I say to these people, I'm thinking, oh, we're not married to each other anymore, so it's nice to see one that lasted, that's great. He was mentioning cell phones. I was at, uh, at uh, Mike's church in Canton, and uh, spoke there not too long ago, but anyway, there was tornadoes all around the area, and I didn't know it, but all phones are hooked up to that now, so the moment the tornadoes were hitting, their cell phones were going off all over the whole, all over the whole congregation. And people were running everywhere. It's hard to preach while people are getting up and running. I had never had that happen before, so <clears throat> shut your cell phones off, thank you. That's just a, just a message to let you know. Again, thank you for inviting me to be here. And again, we had a great time last night. And of course, the purpose today is to teach on end times. He's introducing a series coming up on friendship. And uh, so he asked me to minister on end times, especially with so much going on in the world, just to put your mind at ease that there, God does have a plan. Yeah, the world has a plan, but how many glad that God has a better plan than what the world does? Satan has a plan, but I read the end of the book, Satan loses, we win. That's the good news. And so I'm on the winning side and so are you. <clears throat> that helps us to understand. Out on the table is a lot of information and I pastored for 33 years taught at Rama before that time for four years. The last year I was there, I was the dean at Rama, and then God called me to pastor the church I was attending, and actually my wife and I were there for the first Sunday it started, and uh, we had helped in the church while I was working for Kenneth Hagin, teaching at Rama, and then the Lord told me I would be taking over that church, <clears throat> and pastored there for 33 years. Two years ago, I retired, and now I'm traveling and teaching, and, and what God has laid on my heart is really to help raise up a new generation of young ministers. And for all you old people that think the young ones are all going to hell in a handbasket, you're wrong. There is a great group of young people today that are on fire for Jesus like you've never seen. I come back and minister to my congregation, even told them one Sunday, I said, you know, I, I'm ministering to you, and for 33 years I taught to you, and you'd sit there and nod and say amen once in a while, and come afterwards and say, great sermon or the worst ones were nice speech. I never understood that one. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, I, and I said, I go to these schools and such as Andrew Womack's school, I teach there. And I said, I minister on the same things and they stand up and cheer. I get standing ovations while I'm teaching. 
But of course, they're going to teach these things and they're looking to enhance their own ministry. And I just tell them, there's one excited generation out there that's going to help turn the world upside down before Jesus comes back. So that's what I'm doing. If you'd like to find out more information at the table, there's a way that you can get involved with me, uh, prayer, financially. I'm not asking for your money you give to the church. This is, skip a hamburger once in a while and just send it to me because I can use it to help uh, you bring young people into the kingdom of God, especially those that are called into ministry. And I have a real heart for pastors, a real heart for those that are heading up churches today. And so it's, again, thank you for being uh, here today and to hear the word of God. There's, uh, what I'm teaching on end times is available in a book and on a flash drive. And so the flash drive contains more material, but uh, the book out there, you can come by and I'll sign it after the service this morning. So everything I'll be teaching and more is in this book. And then there's other ones out there. I have a $5 book on, the, on what faith is all about, where it teach, leads you to, because faith is not the, the end of all, it's the beginning of all. And the end of faith is really a walk of love. That's exactly where the whole course of the Christian life leads you to. That's out there on the table. And then one of my best sellers is, it's called When God is Silent, because I couldn't think of a better title. I'm not good at titles. I have young people around me helping me with titles. And so even they couldn't come up with a better one than this. But anyway, the book is on, it seems like you've done everything right and it still didn't work. So you go to God and ask him why he doesn't say anything. And you're more confused than ever. The whole essence of the book is don't throw away what you know because of what you don't know. Stick with what you know because it has to work. If it's in the word of God, if it's not working, God will show you why because there's always an answer. Don't give up on God because he'll never give up on you. All right? Open, if you would, in the Bibles this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And... People today are wondering, you know, about the coming of Jesus. And they often ask me, do you think Jesus is coming soon? I said, you know what? You'd have to be deaf, dumb, and blind today to not know Jesus is coming soon. Even the world knows something's coming. The world isn't what it was a few years ago. Things are so rapidly changing around us. And I had somebody ask me this. They said, yeah, but you know, the type of things you're talking about have happened throughout history. And what I saw was, and I told them, I said, yes, but it's been isolated to this country or that country. The problems today are what Jesus talked about. They're all worldwide. There's nothing anymore that's isolated anywhere because the problems we're facing, they're facing all around the world. They're facing the same problems we are. And this is what Jesus described. And so what does the Bible have to say about end times? I have found this subject can be so captivating. It's really so simple. It can be so captivating that many Christians just run off on a tangent with it and they hardly can relate to anything else except for end times. But keeping it in balance as part of your life is so important because it's a central theme that runs throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New. And so today we're going to start off with taking a look at our time period we live in, how unique it is. And notice here for just a moment, Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, to Timothy, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. I want you to notice there are two comings of Jesus yet to come. There are three altogether, but one has already taken place. One took place when Jesus came into this earth and was born, lived here for 33 years, then ascended into heaven after he was crucified and resurrected. But he also said just before he left in Acts chapter 1, I am coming back. But the word of God teaches there are literally two comings of Jesus left to, uh, for him to do into this earth. 
The first one is for us, that is the church. Those who are alive and remain of the body of Christ will be taken to heaven, and that's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Then that sets up a time period on the earth of seven years of the worst time the world has ever seen, but even during that time, masses of people will come to Jesus. It's the greatest time of evangelism the world has ever seen, those seven years, and at the end of those seven years, Jesus is going to come back to stay. Now, he's going to come back for us. We'll rise to meet him in the air, and we will spend seven years in heaven going through the judgment seat of Christ. Or as the Greek actually says, the reward seat of Christ. To reward us for the good things we've done on this earth toward other people, to help to spread the kingdom of God. But when he comes back at the end of that time period, the end of those seven years, he's going to come back to rule and reign on the earth. The good news is he'll be the world leader, and we will not have to reelect him every four years. There will not be a Republicans, Democrats, Congress, and Senate to pass it through. Jesus Christ will know what's best and what's going to happen will be the best for the world. In fact, the whole world's going to change. Even the curse that's on nature will be removed. The Old Testament tells us when that king returns to set up his kingdom that the trees will clap their hands, the oceans will rejoice, all of nature will break loose into the same glorious liberty as the children of God. It's going to be a great day when Jesus comes back with us from heaven to the earth and the, in essence there will be an antiphonal going on. We'll be singing King of Kings and Lord of Lords when he comes back and all of nature will be singing King of Kings and Lord of Lords as Jesus comes back. The one that redeemed us will redeem the planet. Glory to God. All right? Now, I'm not saying throw all your styrofoam out there, but you're not affecting the world. Okay, there's a curse in the earth, and we're not going to stop it simply because we drive better cars. It's going to take Jesus coming back to redeem the planet, and when he does, praise God. Don't pollute the planet, but on the other hand, don't think you're the problem, okay? Satan's the problem that started in the Garden of Eden, and Jesus is the answer. Thank you for a big amen on that one. Okay. Look with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Again, that verse of Scripture told us he's coming back two more times. That verse, he says he will judge the living and the dead at his appearing. That's the rapture of the church, the taking out of the church. He doesn't come and touch the earth. He just appears. But then it goes on to say, and his kingdom. Those two events are seven years apart. But we are living in a time period today that's been lasting for some 2,000 years. From the time that the day of Pentecost occurred until today has been over 2,000 years. This is called the church age or another title for it in the Bible is the dispensation of the grace of God. Paul made reference to this in Ephesians chapter 3. I wanted you to take a look with me at verses 1 through 6. Here in Ephesians 3 it says in verse 1, For this reason, that's the church he's referring to, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me for you. What he's saying was we live in a dispensation called the dispensation of grace, and the main message given to us was given to us by the Apostle Paul. Paul says, I stand between the church and God, and God has given me the information. I've written it in these books to give to you. And he calls this the dispensation of the grace of God. He goes on to say in verse 3, How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. As I wrote before in a few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages, other time periods, 
were not made known to the sons of men as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. Jump down with me to verse 9. I want to tack on one more verse. And it says, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. Three times we find the word mystery mentioned here. Oftentimes, if you ask a Christian, what's that word mystery mean? They'll say, well, there's just certain things we'll never understand. That's not what the word mystery means. The word mystery means something that's been revealed to us that's been hidden for centuries, that God has now told us. This verse tells us it was hidden in the heart of God. Only the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit knew about this mystery. Even the angels didn't know it. Satan didn't know it. Demons didn't know it. People on the earth didn't know it. It was not revealed until the church began. Let me give you some things that the mystery includes that was never known in the Old Testament. The mystery includes, first of all, the new birth. People in the Old Testament received the Lord, put their trust in Him, but there was no new birth inside of them. Next of all, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit lived in a tabernacle that was a tent, and then later moved into the temple that was built by Solomon and remained in the temple all the way till the time when Jesus went to the cross. But when Jesus died and was resurrected, the veil that held him in there was torn and the Holy Spirit moved out, never to go back to a temple again. But on the day of Pentecost, he moved inside of us, something that had never happened before. The Bible says part of that mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Never had anybody had the Holy Spirit live in them. We are so privileged. And so the Holy Spirit moved in. That's things that were never available in the Old Testament that was called a mystery. If the angels didn't know it was coming, Satan didn't know it was coming, demons didn't know it was coming, then people didn't know it was coming. Even the apostles that walked with Jesus, the 12, did not know. In fact, that's why they kept saying, when's the kingdom coming? He said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Because something was coming they didn't know that Jesus knew was coming, had introduced to them but didn't go into any detail. He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm sure they probably nodded and looked at each other and said, what's the church? I don't know, never heard of it. That probably went right over their head until the day of Pentecost. They must have walked down from the upper room going, huh, we're in a whole new time period. And that time period is called the church, the dispensation of the grace of God. And there are many benefits to this, but in essence, what happened is you and I are living in a unique time period. And that time period right now is called the dispensation of grace. I'm so glad there's a whole revival going on of the understanding of the grace of God. It's wonderful to understand God's grace. And so we find that being taught and ministered today. Again, I'm very thankful for it. Let me just give you some things about what the revelation of the mystery will do for you. Uh, Paul taught in Romans chapter 11, and verse 25, he mentioned the hardness of Israel during the church age and the partial blindness of that nation. And how that now God has turned from the Jews to the Gentile nations. And what used to happen through Israel, they were the center focal point of all of God's activity to take to the world, has now shifted over to the church. Made up of every kindred, tribe, tongue, nation. Aren't you glad God is dealing today mainly through the Gentiles? Can I hear all the Gentiles say amen? 
All right, Jews can say amen too if you've accepted Jesus. The point of it is, is God is now working through the church. And this is part of something that was unknown. This is where all the fights came in the book of Acts between the old thinkers and the new ones. The old ones kept saying, but it's supposed to come through the Jews. And, the, and those who understood the new covenant said, no, because of their rejection over all of Jesus Christ, God has moved over here to the church, but there's coming a day he's going to go back to the, to the Jews again. And we need to understand he's not through with that nation. There's a great blessed future for them as there's a great blessed future for us. But right now he's working through the church. Let me quickly give you an analogy here. Jesus mentioned in two parables, one right after the other. One was the parable of the uh, treasure in a field, and the next one was the parable of the pearl. And he said the treasure in the field, there was a man that went and bought the entire field just to get the treasure. Well, the man that bought the entire field was Jesus. He bought the entire earth just to get the treasure. And the treasure represented Israel. A treasure is made up of diamonds and, and rubies and sapphires and all these things. In essence, what was on the breastplate of the priest was all the different gems that represent the 12 tribes of Israel. But said as soon as the man bought the treasure and the field, he buried the treasure. The next one says there was a man that sailed the seas. That was a merchant man. And he went and found one pearl of great price. The pearl is the church. And a merchant man sails the seas. The seas are a type of all the different nations of the world. We find this in the book of Revelation. And he went and found one pearl of great price. What's the difference between a pearl and a treasure? A diamond, a barrel, a ruby, a sapphire, they're all, they are all built under pressure and built from the earth. But a pearl comes from the ocean and it is built, not made from pressure, built one layer at a time. And Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I am one of those layers that at five years old I accepted Jesus. My layer was put on top of that thing and it starts with one little irritating stone. His name was Jesus. And we've been built on him. And one day the last layer on that pearl will be built. And he's going to reach down and pick that pearl up because you have to lift up a pearl out of its place to use it. It'll be lifted up out of its place, taken into heaven, and he'll switch back, dig out that treasure again and use it for seven more years. Right now we're living in this unique time period called the mystery. Things that were hidden in the Old Testament we now understand. And even Peter said that there are angels that come and they attend church and they desire to look into the things we look into. You think you have a notepad out? Angels are standing around this place going, I never knew that. See, it's part of the mystery. Something been revealed to us hidden from the Old Testament. So in Romans 11:25 we have the hardness of Israel. In Romans 16, verse 25 and 26, that knowledge of the mystery produces obedience. To understand the unique time period we live in produces obedience toward God in your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 tells us, only the Godhead knew the mystery was coming, but while how special we are, how blessed we are, that God has revealed it to us. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 53, the rapture is part of the mystery. That's why it's not taught in the Old Testament. That's why it's not taught in the four Gospels. It isn't taught till we come to the New Testament epistles. There the rapture is told about. And Paul said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. It's something that they didn't understand in the old. It's something that's been waited until the New Testament to reveal to us. Since it's the rapture of the church, he had to wait till the church came along to teach us about that. 
Then we have in Colossians chapter 1, verses 25 through 28, we find the intense burden that was on Paul's life to teach this mystery before he died, put it all in writing so we would have it to have today in our own life. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. Are you following me this morning? Okay, I know I'm kind of moving a little fast. And for you that are slow, that's why we sell CDs. So pick those up out there. Your church will have the service. So look with me at Daniel chapter 9, and I want to give you a little background on this passage of Scripture. Daniel chapter 9. In the book of Daniel, Daniel is one of those prophets that existed during the time of captivity. There was prophets before the captivity, Jeremiah and Isaiah. There was some that came afterwards, and so those were Zechariah and others. But we have basically what's known as the pre-exilic prophets, the exilic prophets, and then the post-exilic. And so this was uh, Daniel's position. He was a, a young person, a teenager, taken off into Babylon in captivity. Because the Babylonians came into Israel, came to Jerusalem, and they took the people away. Many died on a death march all the way there. And Israel was left vacant. Jerusalem was left vacant. The Babylonians destroyed the temple, literally leveled the whole city and turned it to rubble, moved away. And during the 70 years, while Israel was in captivity in Babylon, no one could get the land to produce. A few Bedouins moved there, but nothing except sagebrush and nothing but tumbleweeds existed. That place was dry and barren and no one could get it to produce. And so Israel was taken off into captivity. And of course, being a teenager, he didn't know the Bible that well. But he had an intense desire to know. And while in captivity, he prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, tell me, how long are we going to be here? Are we going to die here? Do we have a future yet to come? And while in captivity, he found the scrolls of Jeremiah. The whole book of Jeremiah was there. He began to unroll them and read them. And he came to one part where Jeremiah prophesied how long they would be in captivity and why they went into captivity. And, and Daniel just got this entire revelation. It's mentioned in that chapter back in verse 2 that he found it from the scrolls of Jeremiah how long they would be in captivity, and he found out it was 70 years. Well, he was just a teenager taken in and realized, I'll probably still be alive by the time we're out of here. Lord, show me how long we're going to be here and what's going to happen when we get out. Well, here's the reason why he found out they were in captivity for 70 years. From the death of David... When David died, Israel was at their finest peak of spirituality. They loved the Lord, and they loved the law, and they loved the, the things of God, and all these things. And when David died, they began to slip away just a little bit. And the first thing they did was they didn't let the land rest every seventh year. They're supposed to have a, a Sabbath for the land every seventh year. Uh, it's becoming a popular word. It's called Shemitah. That's what it is. Every seventh year, the land rested. And so when they let the land rest, that's what caused the ground to cultivate itself and rebuild itself up, and they were to let it rest for one year. But they didn't do that. They decided we're just going to keep on planting and make as much money as possible. And most of you realize this. You never start out with a big sin. It starts out as something small that if you don't watch it, it can spread and get worse. Well, let me tell you how bad it got. Over the next 490 years, Israel went all the way to the point of worshiping Baal, having sexual orgies out in the fields called groves, worshiping the idols, and even burning their children to Molech, offering them as, as sacrifices. I mean, how far did Israel depart from the word of God? 
And they got to that point, and God kept warning them through Jeremiah and Isaiah, turn, turn, come back to me, because if you don't, you're going into captivity. And they would not turn. And after 490 years, they went into captivity, and God made this declaration. You're going to go into captivity, and the land will rest. For 490 years, they didn't let the land rest. Every seven years, how many years did they owe back to the land? You mathematicians, 70 years. For 70 years, that land sat there and rested because God said, this land's going to rest, and no one could get it to produce. They tried, but it wouldn't work. And so for 70 years, it sat there, and it was dry, and it, the rain would come. It would get, it build itself back up, but Israel was in captivity because at the end of 70 years of captivity, the land had received all the rest it was going to. And now here, Daniel says, Lord, show me what's going to happen when we get out of captivity. And let me show you what the Lord said to him. Look with me at verse 24. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24 says this, 70 weeks are determined on your people in your holy city to finish the transgressions, make an end of sins, make reconciliation for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. He's literally saying 70 weeks are going to occur when you get out of captivity, and at the end of those 70 weeks, the millennium's going to come. I mean, we're going to usher in righteousness. We're going to clean up the whole world. We're going to stop all sin. We're going to bring in everlasting righteousness. We're going to anoint the most holy. In essence, he's simply saying, all sin's going to come to an end. Jesus will come and rule and reign at that time called the most holy. It's going to happen at the end of 70 weeks. We'll talk about what that means. The next verse goes understand, say in verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and to build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The streets will be built again, the walls even in troublous times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince who is yet to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood, and until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm, this is the Prince that is yet to come, not Jesus. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. And in the middle of the week, he will bring an end to the sacrifice and offerings. And on the wings of abomination shall one be made desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Now I know you're thinking that is very, very confusing. I'm not going to get into detail. I'm simply going to tell you simply what this says. And when you understand it, it is so simple yet so profound. Here's what the Lord said to him. Seventy weeks are determined on your, on your people. If you go back to verse 2 of that passage of chapter 9, we find out that we're not talking about days of a week. We're talking about years. Every day is one year. So therefore, a week represents seven years. Therefore, 400 or 70 weeks equals 490 years. What was he saying? You had 490 years from the death of David till you went into captivity and you blew it. I'm going to give you 490 more years. We're going to start all over again. And when you get out of captivity and the king makes a decree that you can rebuild the city, that's when your 490 years are going to start. And you're going to have 490 years, and at the end of those 490 years, the millennium's going to come. Now, I know what you're thinking, like I am too. 490 years is long past, and the millennium still hasn't come. So was the Bible wrong? The answer is no, the Bible's never wrong. God just had a plan in mind that they didn't know about back then. You see, they didn't know about the mystery. You ever wonder why 
Like Isaiah 9, 6, we quote it at Christmas every year. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and we stop right there. We put it on Christmas cards, we say it to each other, a child is born, a son is given. The rest of the verse goes on to say this, and, and, and jumps some 2,000 years in advance over that and says, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Of the increase of his government there shall be no end. It's really talking about both comings of Jesus, but it doesn't say about anything in between because Isaiah didn't know there was anything in between. The church was a mystery. He didn't know the church was going to come. He just thought Jesus was going to come and be born. A child is born, a son is given, and immediately we're going to have the government put on his shoulders. That's what the disciples thought. No wonder they were always saying, can I sit on your right hand? Can I sit on your left hand? When's the kingdom coming? And Jesus had to constantly affirm to them they didn't understand and would not understand until they went to the upper room, were filled with the Holy Spirit, and suddenly got a revelation. We're in a whole new time period, and it's lasted now for over 2,000 years. Here's how the 70 weeks or the 490 years are broken down. When it started, he said it's, the first part of it will last seven weeks. That's 49 years. During that time, the city will be rebuilt. The temple will be rebuilt. The streets will be rebuilt in a very troublous time in all world history. Great wars were taking place, but Israel was rebuilding Jerusalem during that time. It took 49 years to do that. Then he said there's going to be another time period past that, and that's going to be 62 weeks or 434 more years. During that time, Israel reached their zenith. They were the most prosperous nation on the face of the earth because they never went back to worshiping idols again. They remained true to God. They became the essence of chapter 28 of Deuteronomy. They were the head and not the tail. They were above and not beneath. They were lended unto many nations but never borrowed. They became the banking nation for the entire world. Any country that wanted a loan had to go to Israel to get it, and Israel was getting all the interest off that, and they became the most wealthy nation on the face of the earth during that other 62 weeks he talked about. Seven weeks, then 62 weeks. And he said, but here's what's going to happen. By the time that second segment of weeks ends, the 62 weeks, Messiah is going to be cut off, but not for himself. He went to the cross for your sins and my sins, not for his own. And Messiah was cut off. And everything ended at that point right there. I ask you a question. How much is, is uh, 7 plus 62? Okay, you mathematicians. Again, it's all right to speak up. You're not going to get graded on this, okay? Is that okay? How much is, how many is that? 69. But see, he also went on to say after that there was one more week. And during that week, Antichrist will rule for, for that seven-year period. What is he saying? Well, let me just put it this way. Can I have a couple of guys up here? Would you two guys come up and just stand right down here? Yeah, you two. You can both right there. You, I picked the best-looking ones. Go so, Okay, turn around and face the, face the people if you would. Stand next to each other. I want your shoulders to touch. Okay, right there. I'm not getting weird on you, okay? Um, what we have here, this represents the 69th week coming to an end, and this represents the 70th week. What led up to this? Well, there's been 483 years, or 400 and, and, and however many years, yeah, 483 years up to this point. The first 49 years, they rebuilt the temple and they rebuilt the city and the sanctuary, the streets and all that. Then the next 62 weeks began, or 434 more years. 
attached to that of which Israel went through their golden years. They came to this point that says at the end of that 62 weeks, that section, what's going to happen is Messiah will be cut off. Jesus Christ went to the cross at the end of Daniel's 69th week. There was still one more week of Jewish time left on, to be fulfilled. When Jesus went to the cross and died on the cross, he said, it is finished, and suddenly Jewish time came to a screeching halt. Jewish time has never ended, it just stopped. And it stopped seven years short of what Daniel's prophecy said. Here's what happened. When the prophecy first started way back over here and God said there's going to be 70 weeks, the moment the decree was given, which he said it would start with a decree from a king that they could rebuild the city, God picked up a stopwatch and went, and it began to tick. It's not like the new ones that are silent. It's just the old ones, you know. That's what I was raised on. And as soon as 49 years passed, the city was complete. The walls were complete. The temple was complete, and he went into the second segment, and for the next numbers of years, 434 more years, Israel passed its zenith, it went to the golden years, and it began to deteriorate. By the time we get to the end of the Old Testament, we have the books of Malachi, we have the 400 silent years between the Old and New Testament, all this darkness as far as spirituality was concerned. Rome took over control of Israel, control of Jerusalem. By the time we come to the New Testament, the birth of Jesus in this earth, Romans were walking down the street controlling Israel. Israel was under oppression under them as they controlled them. Jesus Christ was born, raised, entered his ministry, and during that time was, was under the Jews themselves, also faced Roman persecution, and finally put on the cross because the Jews turned him over to the Romans and the Romans crucified him. But on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, and then the moment he died, he said, it is finished, God reached up to that stopwatch and went and stopped it. Seven years more left and took that stopwatch and laid it aside. Picked up another stopwatch and what he did was, he picked up another one called the church and on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit hit the upper room, he went and we started a brand new clock. And what God did was he inserted the church between Daniel's 69th week and Daniel's 70th week. Jewish time has never ended, it just stopped. And God switched over to the church. And for 2,000 years, he's been fulfilling the mystery, something that was never known in the Old Testament, could not be understood. Why didn't Daniel know? There was a gap between the 69th and 70th week because it was a mystery. He didn't have it, it wasn't given to him. And suddenly they came from the upper room going, something new's happening. Now the writings of Paul come along, the writings of John come along, the writing of James comes along, and Peter, all these writers of the New Testament acquainting us with the fact we live in a whole new time period. And now by understanding that, we now understand we are part of the church. And here's what's going to happen after 2,000 some odd years. I don't know when the rapture is going to occur, but the moment the church is removed, God's going to take that stopwatch and throw it away because he's through with it. Reach up and take that old one and tick off the last seven years of Jewish time on this earth. It's impossible for the church to be here when this takes over because the whole earth shifts back to Jewish time. 
And God's going to work through that nation again. He's through working through the church. The church will be taken into heaven, will go through the judgment seat of Christ, and the whole earth will again go back to God dealing through one nation to affect the world. A temple will be rebuilt. Sacrifices will be offered. They will not save anybody, but he's going back to that time period. He's going to work through them like he used to, and literally the earth is going to pick up right here where it left off here at the cross when Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus wasn't referring to Jewish time when he said it's finished. It was the law that was over, but Jewish time is yet to be fulfilled. Think about this for just a moment. I mention it. What was going on in the earth at this time as far as the Jews was concerned? Israel was concerned. What was happening was the Jews were under Roman control. Whenever the church began over the next numbers of years, Rome lost its power, became a, literally a puppet nation, and the Jews were dispersed around the world. Neither one ceased to exist, they just lost their power. But what's been happening here in the past few years? Rome's coming back, Israel's come back to their nation, preparing for this time right over here. Because as soon as this period, the seven years, called Daniel's 70th week, another name for the tribulation, the moment this thing starts, Israel will be back under Roman control, right where we left off right here. Rome will have control over Israel because they're going to form a seven-year peace treaty with them, and Israel will be right back under control of that nation. But what's going to happen out of there is that the worst time the world's ever seen. Jesus even said it, this is the worst time the world has ever seen for wars and all those different things. But the good news is, at the end of that 70th week, guess who's going to come back to rescue Israel, the world, every believer, the planet, and everything else? Jesus Christ is coming back. And on that day, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. You guys can be seated. Thank you. How do you become a part of that? How does that affect you? You see, there, Jesus is coming for us. He's going to take us out, and actually it says in the book of Thessalonians, a New Testament book, we had not been appointed unto that wrath. We're not going to be here when that wrath comes. Do we ever face the anger of God? Of course you can. You can get God ticked off. I just don't like to do it, okay? Okay, I like, him. I like having a good relationship with him. But there can come. But we'll never face a wrath as far as the body of Christ is concerned like the world's going to see during that time. When God takes us into heaven, we'll go through seven years of the judgment seat of Christ or rewards. But right now, God has a plan for your life, and that is contingent on you accepting him as Lord and Savior. Why don't you bow your heads with for just a moment. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that Father, your Spirit's speaking to them. Today is their opportunity not only to change their life, but to change eternity by simply saying yes to your plan. Father, I thank you that right now you're dealing with their hearts. Father, all the things I've talked about, whether they understood some of it, all of it, or very little of it, all they understood was, God, you must love me to form a plan of salvation and redemption for me. And Father, today I have to make a decision. Do I want to accept Jesus or not? Father, I pray today they'll simply say yes to the plan of God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's, let's keep our heads bowed, our eyes closed. I want to um, give an invitation. Pastor Bob just talked about it. If you're here today and you're not sure of your forever, I'm going to give you an opportunity to be sure. You know, the Bible declares whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God's asked us Christians to go into all the world and share the good news. And the good news is 
hey, you can't work your way to heaven. All you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ and what he did and how he died for your sins and accept him and make a decision to follow him. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm not asking you to join our church. I'm not asking you if you grew up in a Christian church. Even if you're a member of a Christian church, I'm not asking you if you were water baptized or um, as a baby or an adult. Here's what I'm asking. Can you remember a time in your life when from your heart you made it real with God and you said, Jesus, I see you are the Savior and I make a decision to accept you. If you're here and you say, Pastor Joe, I can't, but I'm ready today to do that, would you pray with me? Everyone else in the room, would you help them pray? Just say this after me. Say, Lord God, I realize I'm a sinner. I repent for all my sins. And this day, I give my heart to Jesus. Jesus, I believe that you died for me, that God raised you up, that you're the Savior, and I make a decision today to follow you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.